And I said, Dad, you know, I'm thinking about getting married to Christy. What do you think? And his exact words were, she's a woman. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was him through and through. So, son, you're starting a business? Great. It's a business. What more do you want? <laughs> I, have this, I have this image of him in both those situations just nodding at you. Hello and welcome to the Help My Wealth podcast, Money Rules or Money Rules. Here at Help My Wealth, we are all about empowering financial success in our community of listeners. We hope you find today's topic both informative and helpful. Money Rules or Money Rules. I'm your host, Stephen Logan, and as always, Hamish Ferguson is with me. Thank you, Hamish, for coming. My pleasure. Has it been a good day, Hamish? It has been an interesting day. As I think I mentioned to you beforehand, I had the luxurious pleasure of working at my mother's house. Oh, you know? it's always exciting, isn't it? Yeah, no, um, I can tell you that, you know, People in their 70s are a little bit like people in their 15s, you know, like teenagers. You know, they're just, they're naughty. They don't want to actually do what they're told. <laughs> I think that's because your mother's going, I'm your mother. I don't need to do what you're telling no, me to do. No, look, she's fiercely independent and I love her for that. But, um, but yeah, she just really didn't want me over there today. So, <laughs> And with us today is also Jeremy Fox. Jeremy, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Jeremy has been an accountant and business owner since he was 24. Uh, we've often wondered with your youthful looks whether you finish school or start a business first. What came first, huh, Jeremy? Uh, definitely the business, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> if I go back to my primary school days when you'd, you'd buy your, your bulk lollies, sell them to your friends for 20 cents a pop. Oh, you're already into business in, uh, in, in primary school. And then high school, the high school version was uh, Coke 7-Up and Mountain Dew, right. uh, 30% lower than the canteen. <laughs> the canteen had the inferior uh, branded product, my right. bad. Mm-hmm. I tried to get shut down, but continued underground. <laughs> Look, Jeremy is passionate about accounting and having a good system in place for finance and uh, for your financial perspective and likes to help his clients to manage their tax and their internal accounting systems in general. Jeremy, one of the things we've got you here today is to talk about, um, you know, the difficulties that clients have come across um, with the ATO. And I think also to have a, a really good understanding around, uh, you know, what, what accountants do and how they can actually help clients. Because, you know, let's face it, you could just jump in and submit your ATO, you know, submit your thing to ATO every year yourself anyway, couldn't you? Oh, you, you can. You definitely can. Uh, and I guess much like any business or individual situation uh, is complex or easy, um, from our experience, we've seen people who are quite simple submit their own and, and try to navigate their own journey as we have quite complex people. And uh, But, yeah, you absolutely can. Um, and no doubt we can go through why, what trips and traps there would be around that. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, to start off with, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your business. Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, yes, it started started uh, quite young uh, in that business journey. From uh, that high school age, I just really loved uh, business. So, uh, what drove me to accounting and the accounting fraternity uh, was more a passion for business than it was um, sort of accounting. And I guess uh, a lot's changed in the world of accounting since. Mm the old typical number crunching and typewriter-based uh, completion of forms to what is now effectively problem-solving, walking alongside people, identifying opportunities. Mm. So 
Yeah, personally, um, as I mentioned, yeah, sold the, the Coke Seven Up and Mountain Dew sort of throughout my schooling years. Bought my first car. Um, son of son of a, a couple of uh, farming Queenslanders. Both parents were were farmers, and and they grew up on farms. My mum was a Jillaroo, and my father uh, was a, a farmhand from a young age. So, um, yeah, definitely a wealth of experience and knowledge from. Uh, there's a lot to be said about farmers, might I add. Mm. They just have such a um, a keen understanding of hard work, seasonality of things, good times, bad times, resilience. And, um, yes, I think a lot of those lessons that through my parents kind of uh, instilled as a, as a young boy. So. so let me ask the question. I mean, you know, most accountants don't um, sort of, you know, finish school, do their, you know, accountancy schooling and then going straight into into job at 24 years of age. I mean, what made you go, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my own small business, I'm going to jump in straight away rather than spending, what, 10 or 15 years working for maybe a larger company and getting the experience and going from there? Stupidity. <laughs> no, definitely not stupid. Is that what you say to 24-year-olds or say, Jeremy, I'm starting a business, I need an accountant. And you go, hang on, let me tell you a story. Uh, no, just a passion for the trade more than anything and a passion for people. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd had five years' experience at a uh, mid-tier uh, firm, 150-odd people and five years is, is in a lot of ways not a long time in, in experience um but throughout sort of those youthful years of of having an understanding of money farming um small business i owned a cafe with a few friends for a season of time as well a uh, good four or five years together uh really just felt a passion to work as closely with people as i could and, and often those larger firms there's a few uh challenges with working quite closely with people being proactive helping helping them helping them plan. And at that stage of my career in the accounting scene generally, a lot of uh, transition was happening from the traditional historical look at numbers. And uh, 20 years ago, a typical accountant would get work done nine months after the fact and you'd be talking about data that's no longer relevant. And it was right on the cusp of that proactivity of looking at figures in advance, forecasting, uh, problem-solving, talking strategy. And it was really born out of a desire to work pretty closely with people along that front, which I found easier to, to, to do on my own than I would kind of in one of those larger firms. So. And like thinking back on your family life, you know, your mum's jewellery, dad's a farmhand, what, what were their thoughts in regards to you at, at 24 going, right, I'm starting up my own accountancy business, I'm putting a shingle out the front, I'm on, on my way? Yeah, so um, my mum is the, the world's best mum. Uh, encouraging through and through. I know you talk about careful, Hamish may, may come back either. He's, <laughs> well, he's had tea and biscuits served to him all day. Similar to your mum, Hamish, uh, I suspect, but she'd do anything for anyone. Mm-hmm. If I called her now and said, Mum, I need, I'm doing this podcast, could you give us a lift home? Yeah, it's, I know it's an hour, hour drive away, but any chance you could pick us up? No worries, Jeremy, I'll be there in an hour. Um, <laughs> and so she couldn't have been more encouraging. Uh, and my father had, had um, been in sales and, and had run his own small business from time to time. So, um, he was uh, a funny story. He's a man of few words, um, but he was as encouraging as a man of few words could be. Mm-hmm. And, and by way of example, um, the uh, fucking quick aside. So uh, farmers are not often known for their closeness of relationship and mm-hmm. engagement and pragmatic, but not overly um, emotional. Overly emotional and. Uh, so wind back the clock uh, about the time I started the business I'd also got in, engaged uh, but prior to getting engaged um, to my now wife I thought oh, what a great time to connect with dad I'll, I'll have that heart to heart and I said dad you know, I'm thinking about getting married to Christy what do you think and his exact words were she's a woman 
what more do you want? <laughs> and, and that was him through and through. So, son, you're starting a business? Great. It's a business. What more do you want? <laughs> I, had this, I had this image of him in both those situations just nodding at you. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It'll do. It'll do. <laughs> if I had a problem, I would have told you. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind going backwards a step. So you talked about your parents being farmers and, and one of the things that I picked up on was you talked about their, I guess, their understanding of seasonality. All right. So can you unpack that a little bit more for us in terms of what you mean? Yeah, so um, the farming generally, and admittedly I'm not an expert farmer, and apologies in advance for um, for getting some of this wrong. But for any farmers out there listening, going, he's got no idea he's talking about. He's a city, city boy. No <laughs> we're, we're in dangerous territory. <laughs> no idea. He should just stick to accounting. My understanding, <laughs> uh, my understanding of, of the farming life cycle, the seasons of drought, the mm. seasons of, uh, of flood, of mm. harvest, of planting, there's a long time of uh, not doing nothing but sitting and waiting mm. and hoping. And I find those uh, seasonality uh, lessons very similar to a business um, in that often in business people are trying new things, trying advertising, trying marketing, hiring people, and there's a season of sitting back and waiting. Going, Gee, I hope this rains. Mm. Didn't rain last month, no forecast for this month. How long can we last for? Mm. What's our reserves? When mm. we have a bump of crop, we need to set some of that aside to invest in the next season of life. Um, and I think a lot of those principles that make a successful farmer generally make a successful business person or a successful um, financial journey for anybody. Mm. When there's a bump of crop, setting some aside. When there's lean years, being diligent with what's spent and kind of knowing what's what's around the corner. So Yeah, look, it's really interesting. And the reason why I picked up on that is because I have actually heard something sort of similar but from a different direction in the sense that when you you sort of hear um, a lot of the, the, the difficulties that the farmers have had, all right, over the over the years, and especially in the media and that sort of thing, is that is that is there's this question mark about you know okay the seasoned farmer sort of usually is prepared for those they actually they've already put that 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 stuff away whatever it is you know to to because they know it's coming you mm. know it's just a matter of time absolutely um, so and and of course you know we've heard phrases like pit strip farmers and things like that where people come in. In and and they start a craft without really understanding what they're getting into. Um, yeah. So, and I'm guessing you know moving away from farming, that, that's probably something you've seen a lot of over the years. You know, somebody's got an inheritance; they've they've just chucked money at a business. They've seen something. Coffee shop, you know, restaurants would be a, a classic around that. Absolutely. And then two years later, they're just scratching their head, saying, "What happened?" Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And uh, and I guess that farming. Um, is certainly one of those trades where there's a whole series of tax rules to do with what happens when you make a loss. It's one of the only sections of the tax law that deals with the all of the permutations and combinations of farmers losing money. Mm. So, uh, as you say, the seasoned farmers are aware of that and hopefully sets aside in the good times for those challenges. Mm. Yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah. And, and you talked about your parents being farmers. Um, did, have they, did they actually own their own farm or were they more, you, yeah? Uh, no, my, my uh, grandparents, so they're their parents. Yep, okay. Yeah. All right. So the farm's still in the family or is it gone? No, it developed. Yeah, it developed okay. into houses, believe it or not, yeah. as the way that often uh, these farms in close proximities to mm. cities easily get snapped off and developed out. And interesting, I drove past what uh, I recall as a young man being this incredible 
uh, size farm, this really long driveway up to a house on the hill. And it would have been in my late 30s I drove past it and it was probably the shortest driveway in the history of farming. But as a, as a six-year-old, you think that's the that's three kilometres long, not mm. three metres long sort of thing? Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, okay, great. I have this image of you driving around with your kids going, oh, kids, when I was young, all these fields, this, this was just all fields, all <laughs> fields. Back in my day. I used to ride horses down here. <laughs> uh, so coming back to your story, yes. so obviously your parents farming, you've learned these things, you've gone and, 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 and set up your own business. Um, did you feel like it was, was there that point a year or two into it where you actually scratched your head and just sort of went, what have I done? Uh, almost daily for probably the first six or seven years, I'd yep. say. Okay. Mm. Um, because in any business, uh, people either acquire a business or they or they start one from scratch, and both have their valid points. Uh, I found for me personally, starting from scratch. Uh, taught me the lessons that I needed to learn to uh, be the owner of what's what's now a larger one. But uh, it's definitely a longer and a harder journey most often, uh, and those lessons are learned with blood, sweat, tears, and grit. Mm. Mm. But I guess the luxury of starting your own business, or at least this is what I've found, is that you get to build the clients that are attracted to you or that want to work with you, whereas sometimes when you take over somebody else's clients, it's very hard to build that connection and relationship. Definitely. Uh, you found that as well? Yeah, very much so. I mean, most white-collar professionals I find, albeit um, accountants, financial planners, um, any, any white-collar professional, it's largely a relationship game. And as you say, the ability to grow a business from in that field from scratch, you are working with the people that's a mutual beneficial relationship. You get along with them, they get along with you. Uh, and they've chosen you and you've chosen them. Whereas, mm-hmm. as you say, buying a practice or, or doing it in a slightly different way, there's always that inherent reservation, I think, mm-hmm. and, and it probably takes a little bit longer to build that same level of trust and relationship. So but when you talk about it being about relationships, there must be the odd accountant out there that sort of goes, wait a second, I thought this was all about maths and tax rules and I didn't have to deal with people. Is, yeah. is that- <laughs> there is. Um, there are competitors. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who doesn't work for me is exactly like that. <laughs> well, I often say to clients that what attracts accountants to the industry is often an introverted character. Mm. And so... Uh, quite commonly the complaints we get of accountants is they're just really bad at relationship. But I find uh, whether someone's an individual uh, on that investment journey or a business person, what matters most to them is the relationship. Mm. The technical component, whether someone's done a tax return rightly or wrongly, is important and definitely you want it done well and um, maximised. But clients care about the wrapping, the relationship, the communication styles, but the whole industry attracts the complete opposite type of person. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, my dad was a pharmacist back in the 70s and 80s, all right? So, and um, when he got into in pharmacy, you know, obviously you went and worked for some pharmaceutical company or you went into retail. And um, But back then, pharmacists generally didn't, talk to customers you know they were they used to have this lab coat on and they'd sit behind a glass thing you know you know crunching up their pills and doing whatever they and they'd have somebody them. else you know, there'd, be a, there'd be a you know i guess in those days probably a female you know, yes. at the front that would be the one serving the customers and he was like no no, no just let me mix my medicine right yeah. so and uh and so I only come to me if there's a problem yeah yeah so it's a little bit similar mm-hmm. isn't it in terms of that whole well wait a second what what have i got this preconceived idea about what i'll be doing 
important. And, um, and you know, of course, you know, at least, I mean, the, the tax book, I think it's, what, 50,000 pages? Or just, it's pretty pretty big. No, it's, you know, gr- it's growing. Of, yes. Every, it's day, growing. every day it's growing. Right, but it's still a little bit, possibly a little bit more predictable at times than what people can be, mm. right? So, <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe not, you know. <laughs> so, but, yeah, no, no, it's, mm. it's interesting. So, um, so you've started this business, you, first six or seven years, you felt like, you know, okay, what have I done? But you've had obviously more good days than bad, all right? So because you hung in there, yeah. um, and um, and then yeah, so keep going from there. Yeah, so uh, that business journey then took me to uh, an understanding, and it was uh, one of the biggest lessons I learned through those early years is the people that you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. Um, probably about the time we got to know each other, Hamish hey, Modern, but. Uh, because business for anyone is such a it's such a lonely uh, or can be such a lonely mm-hmm. and isolating um, place. You, you, it's full of stress and pressures and new things you're ill-equipped to deal with, and that's what forces the change in the growth. Uh, and I've got so many little tidbits of advice from a handful of key friends, mentors, and relationships that have helped shape that journey. But one of the most foundational parts that was relevant for this style of business was that it was all about the team. Mm. Mm. And so about that six or seven year mark, I just went really hard at um, growing the right team and hiring the right relationship-based people and the people with the people skills and people who had drive. And we probably had six or seven people at the time in our team um, to what's now probably 35 people in in the team. And any one of our team, I mean, everyone's got their um, unique uh, perspectives on things, but everyone on our team, I'd have a beer with after work. I'd, I'd enjoy their company and no issues at all. And it, it does make for a really enjoyable journey. So, um, yeah, so really focused on the team, uh, and surrounding myself with just really good mentors, relationships and, and like-minded people. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So one of the things we often talk about here is, is mentoring and, um, we really see it as being an important part of, you know, it doesn't matter what profession you're in or what you're trying to learn, like having, having people around you that, that have either been there before or can actually direct and guide you. Um, you've brought up mentoring and, and, you know, sort of saying that surrounding yourself with good mentors is important to you. Um, why, why did you find that to be useful? Yeah. Interesting question. And, uh, I find myself now sort of being a, being mentored still by a number of, of key mm. relationships uh, and equally um, doing my best to mentor others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way that I'd answer that is no matter a position, someone, whether someone's been successful in their career or not, uh, every relationship I've got, I, I try to learn something from. And the same mm. goes with clients. It's a bit of a mutual exchange. I learn something from them. They learn something from me, hopefully. Mm. Uh, but the mentoring side, I find half of the benefit is uh, getting your words out and talking yeah. and hearing yourself talk because you you would have a verbal exchange with a mentor. And whilst you've always got that self-talk going on, I find that a verbal exchange is so much more clarifying. And so over the years, there's been seasons where uh, you just learn a whole bunch of new things, get a different perspective, even just uh, someone to act as a sounding board. Uh, and there's different ratios of sometimes that's really valuable and other times there's seasons of, of just the ability to talk it through with someone and for them to probe and question and, and help you identify what it is you're really thinking or uh, it's my favourite question now when someone at 
uh, and our team comes with a problem, uh, my favourite question now is, oh, what do you think we should do about that? Mm. <laughs> and it's that sort of mentoring relationship is sometimes the person and asking, well, what do you think you should do about that? And, and it forces you to, mm. to think more seriously uh, and stay accountable to somebody. And and like any forecast or any um, ongoing journey, you can go hard at the start and soft at the end, soft at the start, hard at the end. It's like we've got this concept in our office of, uh, you know, not sprinting a marathon. Mm and um having a bit of balance and that journey i find is so much easier when you've got someone external peeking over the fence every now and again saying oh you're looking a bit tired like you're going a bit hard or and and just that person to hold your hand stay accountable and and kind of help you to hit your targets Mm -hmm. so So i want to take you back to um you know the idea of accounting and, and what it's for i think that a lot of people don't completely understand what an accountant does now in their head they submit their tax that's that's pretty much what the average person sort of sees it as so you know for you what what do you think are the misconceptions that people have in regards to you know accounting and accountancy firms and what they can actually do for them be it someone that's an individual or be it a, a company yeah, there's always a bit of mystique to the old accounting, is, accounting yeah. profession. That's how yeah. we like it. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, but School of witchcraft and wizardry. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so navigating uh, – so tax is a component of yep. accounting, absolutely a component, and I'll say tax is half. Half mm-hmm. of the typical average accounting firm, tax would be half of what they do. Yep. And by tax I mean – uh, both keeping someone up with their statutory requirements. Uh, there's a bare minimum of things that need to happen, tax lodgements if you're an individual mm-hmm. and if you're a company, the other uh, related documents go along with that. You have payroll and VASs and so forth. Um, keeping abreast of those lodgements is the lowest value, easiest and quickest part of the job. Mm. Um, the real part of a, an accountant's role does differ between circumstances and, and what I often say to people is uh, accounts are so varied in what they do and how they do it uh, and so setting expectations and trying to work out what clients need. Often people don't know the right question to ask any professional, let alone an accountant, because there is so much confusion about what they do. Uh, and accountants um, become accustomed throughout their career at seeing a lot of things not working. Mm. And so accountants are accustomed to answering questions and often the answer is no. Mm. <laughs> so, so as I'm sure you and I have had many chats over the years, Steve, Jeremy, can I do this? Mm. Sorry, Steve. Can I claim the chicken coop? <laughs> I just put it up in my backyard. No. Uh, but <laughs> the, um, the benefit or the role, I guess, of an accountant um, for the individual on an individual journey. Sure, there's the tax lodgement, that's that's part of it. But it's really about the conversation that leads into that and the strategy that leads into uh, what is a bigger part of someone's financial picture. So someone's on a financial journey throughout their life, good, bad, ugly, might involve Centrelink, might not, might involve superannuation, might not. And tax is quite an integral part of that journey because of you know, necessity, death and taxes. Uh, so I find the, the planning and management of someone's tax position position goes hand in hand with the the financial planning style piece of, well, if you take a small number and add to or take away from what is a a long-term compounding journey, that can make quite a large difference. So Mm -hmm. 
uh, more specifically, almost every client, um, and certainly the, the business clients, um, should have a, a tax strategy meeting or a tax planning meeting or a structuring meeting to make sure, well, am I maximising my deductions? Is there anything that I'm spending that I should or shouldn't be spending to assist with that tax journey? Do I need to think about super? What impact is that going to have both short-term and long-term? What are, what's the tax difference? And, and something simple like, like a superannuation style strategy, which is largely a financial planning style strategy, has a massive impact on someone's tax position. Mm. So sort of thinking that through and having the right experts to to surround that journey and um, and plan for that is is most of the value. So half or more of an accountant's role should be about the forward looking things, the projections, the conversations. And as as we talked about before, that mentoring style role of having a trusted professional that if they're thinking about something, they can bounce it off them. And more and more, certainly in our firm, we're finding that communication level from clients is increasing and we encourage that. So mm. we get the most random questions and we often say to people, if you don't know who the professional is that you should speak to, always give us a call first. Oh, I'm thinking about doing this or this. What do you think? Or who should I talk to? Or like, that question's for a medical doctor. <laughs> I can't help you. <laughs> Cream, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, a good example. I mean, I think, I think there's, there's a big difference between your PAYG person and your, you know, your business person as well. But um, I think an interesting, um, you know, story that I came across recently was was my own daughter. Uh, you know, PAYG, PAYG job um, was offered to have a car lease. You know, so here they are, they're 24 years old, you know, they're starting to earn, um, you know, good money. Do they go for a car lease? Do they not go the car lease way? Which way is the best way? How's it going to work out with tax? And, you know, they were unable to answer that question themselves. Mm. Um, you know, it looked like a really good deal and it looked like the company was doing the right thing by them and, and the company wasn't trying to do the wrong thing. They were just saying, hey, you can either you know, have a, a, a lease or we can keep paying you kilometres. But for them to actually uh, sit down and talk with their accountant and, and go through that and work out which was the best, going to be the best for them in their current, you know, situation and environment, it became really clear. And, and she was able to go, okay, I'm going to keep using the car I've got now and I'm going to, you know, just take kilometres. You know, so it was, it was quite easy for them, but that could have long-term implications. And if you don't have a professional that you can just ask that simple question to, uh, you know, in the end, you're just deciding yourself. Yeah, definitely. And that's where the compounding nature of small decisions over time is a big result. So mm. in an example like that, if it's you know, maybe $2,000 difference a year, so it's a couple of grand, but if it's a five-year lease, well, that's 10 grand over the course of five years and, and mm. you compound that over a longer period of time. A lot of those smaller decisions do compound uh, out to be quite big ones. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so as you say, the, the uh, POYG employee, they, they need a certain um, level of assistance and help uh, and, uh, and the business um, side. Very different and much more scope for engaging with an accountant to mm. get a better result. I always say to clients, the most valuable thing you can do is have a budget or a forecast as a business. The second most valuable is the tax planning. And the, the least valuable is doing your accounts. Mm. You just need to get it done. And it is of little, little value in terms of pushing things forward. Yeah, it has to be done, but it doesn't actually help you. Not yeah. yeah, not necessarily, yeah. 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 Mm. Mm. So... 
client comes in, new, brand new client and says, hey, Jeremy, I'm, I'm thinking of starting up my own business. 24. I'm 24. <laughs> I'm 25. Yeah. Um, so um, help me understand what do I do first? That is a very good question. Um, jump in and yeah. do it. <laughs> so there are so many facets and it's a bit like getting married <laughs> a business. There is a wealth of experience, a wealth of opinions and uh, both positive and negative and no shortage of people willing to give advice. All right. So let me scope the question a little bit for you then, all right, unless you, you, you were, you know, I'm interrupting you. No, but, no. Um, if, if there were, say, top five things that somebody should do before they get into business to make sure they're sort of mentally prepared for that journey. You know, it could be four, it could be six, but, you know, what, what are those things that you'd sort of go, okay, have you, have you got this sorted yet? Have you got enough money? You know, what are those things? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So uh, the absolute first and most critical thing I would suggest is having a proper plan that includes the right amount of cash flow. Uh, this, everyone knows the statistics on small business failing is is not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's The economy is built on the back of small business, so there's clearly plenty that succeed, but the majority of the fail, the reason they fail is um, not necessarily profit, but the cash flow required. Uh, and that's a common experience as a business grows. The amount of uh, working capital or money tied up in that business grows as well. So the ability to fund your bills before you're getting paid from your customer and the ability to fund leases and employee costs and so forth, that that amount grows. So mm-hmm. I'd suggest having an absolutely proper, well-documented and well-thought-out plan with enough cash. Uh, actually, I had a, had a client uh, this week looking at um, purchasing a, an existing restaurant, uh, which don't often make great businesses because there's so much scope for it to go well or, or poorly. And, mm. and, uh, and he presented me a 30-page uh, business plan, which I've never seen in my life. Mm. A client come to me with a 30-page business plan. but uh, And I don't suggest that the actual document itself is of any value. It'll be a paperweight for somebody at some point in time but the process of thinking through who's my target market what's my point of difference how am I going to approach people uh, how is the finances uh, due to work what are my profit margins what's my break even and that's where an accountant can help with bits of that or, or a trusted professional of sorts but the benefit is working through that process yourself and understanding all of those pieces rather than the end result of the products mm-hmm. because I've never seen a forecast be perfectly accurate in my life. That's the nature of plans, uh, but the process of planning being being the benefit. So some sort of plan with cash flow mm-hmm. forecasting, uh, having a uh, trusted group of professionals and even if they're casual or even if they're infrequent, but having the right lawyer, the right accountant, the right financial planner, the right mentor, having a group of people that not only can import little tidbits of wisdom along the way, but can be that professional support network for when times are, are tougher, you can share the burden. When when times are good, you can share the celebrations. Um I guess if I can add to that, like it's probably important to factor in some sort of cost for those professionals into that budget, isn't it? Because there's no point having them if you don't allow for some sort of money, unless they're all going to do it for free for you, which, you know, would be great if you could get it, but it often wouldn't be the case. I haven't met too many uh, that that, uh, don't command a premium because usually uh, mentors um, that are within their working age – 
that time commands some sort of um, cost mm. and, and absolutely uh, all of my mentors. So we've got an advisory board at work, um, or a marketing fellow, an accountant, um, a, a old sort of um, older gentleman and we pay them all. And that's just part of, of that sort of advisory committee. So absolutely valuable. Um, and our time investment and, and money investment with those guys has grown over the years, not, not shrunk. Um, so having a plan, having the cash flow, having a, a trusted uh, group of professionals and building in the right expectation that things are often hard for an extended period of time and being prepared for that. I find mm. generally money, well, from my perspective, money stress or life stress comes from uh, expectations that are not met. Mm. So you have a plan, I want to be here in two years, here in three years, here in four years, uh, or I think I'm going to spend X or Y. And I was having this conversation with a, a client this week. Um, no matter the value of someone's assets, when they go from that tipping point from working to non-working, I always see this fear in their eyes. And I've seen people with a small balance sheet and a huge balance sheet. And it's that moment of, oh, it might be $70 million, but I'm going backwards now. It's like, yeah, but how long are you going to be around? <laughs> <laughs> no, not that I would say that, but it, but it is that, um, that expectation um, and mentality. So I think part of the sort of advice or tips would be, uh, just know there's going to be hard times. Be prepared for that, but meter that out with good times. Make sure you're planning in the holidays, the refreshments, and and be like I was saying before, the marathon, mm. not a sprint approach. So mm. you you still have your three or four holidays booked in a year, but hey, for a season of time, they might be at your local you know, beachside caravan park. They might not be in a, a five star overseas resort, but still plan stuff in. Plan to celebrate the wins and just enjoy the journey. Mm. Mm. So do you find, and look, I know this question, I'll put you on the spot a little bit, but um, one of the things that I sometimes come across is that person that's a great technician, right, and then they've gone into business thinking that they they can easily make that jump to a good all-rounder, which is really what you need to be to be a business owner, isn't it? So do you, do you is, is that something that you see a little bit of as well in terms of, you know, people just not quite understanding the complexity of business? Very much so. And I've often, I've often said in our office that the best business people I've known are hopeless at their trade because they have to employ people and they don't work hard, they're not stressed. So when when there's a million jobs on, they're not the ones staying back till 9 or 10 o'clock because I don't know how to do it. <laughs> and I find they're the happiest and generally the most well-run and most organised, whereas your typical technician, the default is working harder. Mm. Um, and there's a whole um, library of material on, you know, the e-myth and, and turning a technician into a business, technician manager type arrangement. Um, but it is a very different mindset. Mm. Um, not to say all good technicians don't make good business owners as well, but the uh, the thinking is very different mm. because what becomes the more valuable use of their time at a point is not their technical skills. Mm. Um, it's it's the concentrated components of their skill set and a whole bunch of other business management, the ability to attract the right clients, attract the right people, attract the mm. right systems and structures around them, which is just a very different mindset. Mm. And I've often found that someone's personal journey not not all the time, but uh, is commensurate with their business journey. So uh, I've sat across the table from hundreds of business people and you build up a mental picture of their business before you start talking about the actual business just by the way they think, the way they talk, the way they act. There is very much an in-syncness as someone personally grows, their business grows as well. And I guess that's the other uh, part of the mentoring 
type arrangement is, is investing in your personal growth almost always has that overflow of, of business um, change. So. so for the listeners, just to clarify, so when we talk about being the technician, you know, you could be a great engineer, right, but not necessarily great at running an engineering business. You could be a great tax accountant um, but not be a great people manager or a good overall generalist when it comes to running a business. So it's it's understanding that difference between, mm. you know, there are, there are some people that probably should just say, you know what, I'm a great technician, I'm good at what I do, and that's what I should specialise in. You know, mm. it's business isn't for everyone, is it? No. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I liken business uh, to the life cycle of a person. There's, um, you know, the, the baby or, or small. Um, small is easy. Uh, teenagers are hard and adults hopefully are a little bit easier and so micro businesses and i'll use the restaurant as an example yes you family run cafe restaurant um takeaway store they do okay it's small it's controllable it's it's well then there's a phase of business and every industry's got it slightly differently but there's a number of people a certain size that Mm. commands a lot of cost but doesn't command enough revenue to always cover that cost. And then when it gets big again, it gets easier again. Mm. And sort of picking um, the best use of somebody's skills and expertise and where they want to be ultimately, whether it is small, medium or large, uh, as a a business owner is critical. And I know in my own journey, every couple of years you you change. You change where your expectations are and what your targets are and that's that's part of life. But being clear on that sort of life cycle, I think, is Quite critical. Mm. How are you going over this, Steve? Well, I'm good. I was just thinking, you know, it's a bit like a joke, isn't it? An accountant and a financial planner walk into a room. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, the financial planner would say that the accountant's looking behind him and the financial planner's looking in the front. Right, well, so. that, that, that brings me to my next question, actually, because I was going <laughs> to say, you know, your industries have uh, been financial planning and being accounting have, have often merged been pulled apart, merged, been pulled apart, and, and with the whole Royal Commission and everything's been going on in regards to, you know, what advice you can give, who's allowed to give advice, who's not allowed to give advice. I mean, that that's obviously changed for both of you a lot. So, you know, a financial planner versus accountant, what, what you know, what's the difference these days for you guys? Oh, look, I'd happily jump in a room with you, Hamish, and... and, and <laughs> <laughs> Get a, get a boxing match going up. Yeah, look, I mean, it's funny. I think I only mentioned to Jeremy recently. I mean, one of the things that accountants have done really well is they've they've managed, you know, um, they've managed the trust factor well. All right, so they've been pretty consistent. You, you get the odd weird lemon in there, but um, but generally accountants are a conservative bunch, aren't they? You know, they they Often. don't they don't like to necessarily get out there and make mistakes or mm. ruin people's lives. All right, so and you know, whereas financial planning's come from a very different background. You know, mm. financial planning came from really a, a history of being salespeople. It came from the insurance industry, well, really. Well, correct. And mm. so so we actually have when you talk about my parents. Were farmers and, and that, that history or that legacy of where we've come from, they've come from very different angles. Mm. Right? So, and, you know, but predominantly I think what accountants and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, Jeremy, is what they've done is they've had to come out of this, this 
stage or, or life where we were, you know, let's call it the classic bean counter, all right, and we didn't probably have to engage with people that much because we were allowed to stay in that historical sense of information that was six to 12 months old. And then, of course, as technology has come forward, it's it's created a lot of what seems to be opportunities for the accounting arena because we've now come into, well, we can talk live, you know, this is what's happening today. And it's that, that ability that has then allowed you to sort of talk about that future and those cash flow projections and things like that. Would, would you agree with that? I would, absolutely. Right. Um, and... Uh, and with both of our roles, they've significantly changed with that advent of technology. Mm. Um, and I'd say that whilst there was probably, there's been seasons of more crossover and less crossover mm. throughout history of what accountants do, what financial planners do, some businesses brand as both or, or provide both services. Uh, and then you overlay that with the regulation of what you can and can't do now as an accountant. And I'd suspect that there's what used to be a bit more of a greyer line is a far darker line than it used to be, um, with some exceptions. But generally, accountants um, used to be able to talk about a fraction more things than they are now. So um, the role of an accountant now is typically limited to to certainly in the business space, you know, forecasting, projections, tax, management, structuring, asset protection, wealth protection, et cetera, uh, but not in terms of modelling or um, uh, not products, but not in terms of specific investments mm. to support that journey. So if we're ever talking to a person about, hey, I'm here now and I want to be over here, we might help them calculate the number that they need to get there, but we won't support that with. So based on that, you know, them real estate or shares or whatever the case is we, we don't go down to that level but certainly in that general sense of hey i need a projection to get somewhere mm. great we can help you manage your expectations and then do you find that um, financial planners and accountants have, have started to get to a point where they're working in well together? Because it's, it's sort of the same for the financial planner, isn't it? They're the ones that have the, the tools. Um, they have the products. Um, they have the, you know, this is what we can do to achieve, you know, this sort of financial forecast, uh, be it in shares or managed funds or bonds or real estate or whatever else. But they, you know, often the accountant is the one that's giving them the figures and saying, okay, this is where the person's at now, this is where we want them to be. And so do you feel like accountants and, and financial planners are working in better together to actually sort of do that? Or do you feel they're still stepping on each other's toes? Yeah, that, that's that's definitely the theory. The theory yeah. is that they should. Uh, and in a well-structured relationship where there's mutual understanding and mutual respect for each other, I mean, any professional field, yes. uh, the wrong professionals get in the habit of nitpicking and and trying to undermine each other's uh, training. A little bit territorial. You know, uh, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's an extent, I mean, I'm assuming you see some animals at the watering hole every now and again, they nudge each other out of the way. <laughs> it's not much different with us grown men. <laughs> so uh, there's an element of, of that. That's always a risk. But yeah. a really good relationship with an accountant and a planner and a client is one where the accountant and the planner get along well. They understand each other's specialties and skill sets because uh, whilst I said there was a bit of a, a harder line than there used to be, some accountants are slightly more experienced in some things or have slightly better mm. tools or uh, planners are slightly better in some things. And, and I know a conversation that 
uh, is often had is around you know, affordability from a business to fund certain financial plans. So often uh, a client will sit with a financial planner as we've had um, many clients over this last uh, few months, they'll sit with a financial planner and say, well, based on where uh, the financial planner's projections are and the wealth strategies, mm-hmm. can the business fund X amount per month? And then that's really a question for us. But having that tri-party relationship that is strong and mm-hmm. well-connected just allows the clients to get a united front and a better plan for their future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And look, having used um, both of you in, in a professional setting, uh, that's one of the things that I've actually appreciated is where Hamish goes, uh, it's probably a Jeremy question, do you know? And where you'll go, oh, that's probably a Hamish question. <laughs> it's sort of almost like, it's not that I can't answer it, but they're probably, it's probably, they're probably the better person to actually ask that question to, you mm-hmm. know. And I think that's the important thing to recognise in that relationship is, is is getting an account and a financial planner that can talk to each other and are actually are willing to go. And I think it's also about the, the accountant trusting the financial planner and the financial planner are trusting the accountant to go, oh, yes, I'm actually happy for you as my client to go and talk to Bob because I trust Bob. Yeah, absolutely. Or 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 a version of that same issue is, hey, why don't I talk to Hamish and we'll come back to you. Yes. And then we can work out what it is, the the impact on both our respective fields. Yeah. Excellent. I might use that next time you say to me, you should talk to Hamish. I'll go, well, how about you? I'll dial him in. How about you? I'll dial him in, then I'll go away. And then you just tell me what's happening. Absolutely. (laughs) I think to touching on what Jeremy was saying before, there's this concept of, you know, what, what is the professional trying to... Um, call themselves mm. right. So, so I think in accounting and financial planning, you'll get generalists that you know, and typically, you know, their client base from an accounting point of view could be, you know, um, small to medium-sized businesses, generally up to a certain size, and their services will be quite structured around that. And then, then you'll get the specialists, which you know could be like I think I've just sent you one, you know, recently that you know there's a bit of USA tax law and and four hundred one k's and things like that, and that that starts to get quite tricky when you start talking about international tax laws and that sort of thing, isn't it? Mm. Um, and I think it's the same for financial planning. Like there's journalists mm. and then you, you'll get some people that just, just do one thing. They just do aged care or they just do insurance. Mm. Um, and, you know, so that knowledge is great. And then you'll get the generalists that will go, well, wait a second, um, I can do those things. I might not have that specialist knowledge, but unless you're a specific category of person like a, a doctor or, you know, something quite unique then I think it's trying to help the client understand whether they need that specialist or whether they're actually more suited to a generalist Mm. Um, but if I can just jump in because there's one question that I wouldn't mind getting your thoughts on and again this could be a tricky question but one of the ones that I I find with accountants is this concept of um, them calling themselves business coaches all right. So, and and understanding what does that look like from an accounting point of view? Like, you know, because of course you've got business coaches as the specialist, and then you've got the accountant that says, "No, I do business coaching with my clients." So, do you feel comfortable going on that journey? Yeah, just yeah, talking yeah. a little bit more about comfortable that. with most things. Yeah. I've had good and bad experiences in both scenarios mm. in terms of um, professional experiences, uh, colleagues, uh, referral partners and so forth. And uh, what I find is generally a good generalist is not a great specialist. Mm. So they might have special skills or unique skills in a particular um, unique field like 401Ks or US tax. But 
uh, a good generalist isn't a good specialist and business coaching and accounting are different mindsets but with the same underlying facts. Mm-hmm. And so accountants are typically best when swimming in their lane um, and there's an element of any business journey with a, with an accountant having an element of that sounding board that uh, we never call it business coaching. We have an, a lot of structured meetings with a lot of clients frequently, mm. but it's not business coaching. It is, um, hey, let's look at your numbers. Let's mm. talk about your strategy and let's make sure your numbers are aligning with that and you can get some data behind that. But your true business coach is like an advisory board member where they're self-focus, their sole efforts and their sole thinking is not about, oh, does this GST balance reconcile? What was last year's bank fees? Mm. Is this, did we get that percentage right? It's a, it's a different style of thinking. Yep. And so often what makes a good business coach, dare I say it, is a bit more of that salesy approach. And administration and sales are different fields. I think everybody would agree that mm-hmm. often good salespeople make terrible Terrible, Steve, what I are terrible administration. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas good administration people don't make great SARS people. Mm. And so it's, it, it is a little bit like that. Um, every now and again, you get a unicorn that, that is good at both. Um, but, but as a general comment, I think um, if someone can swim in their lane plus 20% of their role, fantastic. Mm. But the roles are different. Yeah, okay. I think one of the things we, we try to get across to, to our clients at Help My Wealth is, in, and you touched on it before, is that idea of actually having professionals around you. You know, you, you say to someone when we're, when we're doing um, sort of coaching with them and, and talking through their, you know, their sort of basic budgeting and finances, yeah, do you have a solicitor? No. Do you have an accountant? No. Yeah, do you have someone you can talk about real estate? No. And if you don't have those people that you've touched base with in the past, it's very hard to ask a question when it comes up. You know, you're ready to go and buy your first home. Well, if you haven't got someone that you're talking to about real estate and investments and where you're heading in the future, then it's hard to ask or to find someone to ask that question. You know, if you, if you don't have those people around you, um, you know, it's, it's important to, to set them up Mm. So that you actually, when when the problems come along, you can actually go, oh, what do I do with this or what do I do with that? So one of our things is, is to say to people, hey, we've got professionals that we use in each of these categories. Uh, you don't have to use our professionals. We don't mind who you use, but do you have someone? You know, and if they don't, then we can introduce them and go, start a conversation with, you know, Bob at Bob's Lawyers. You know, so I'm not asking you to pay money. I'm not asking you to even engage in something, but but you need to start that conversation. Even, for instance, have you got a will? No, I don't. Okay, that's a great place to start. You know, get that sorted out and go from there. You know, who do you use for your accountant? Who do you use for your financial planner? Who do you use for real estate or, or whatever else? Mm. Um, do you find a lot of people that have done well in business tend to have um, those professionals in their lives in some way? Most often, uh, I mean, it's the 80-20 rule. You'll yeah. always get some that, that are uh, doing it on their own. But most often I find that a long-term group of professionals, and look, no professional is perfect. Yeah. Any relationship, albeit friends, family, uh, relationships have their ups and downs and their mm. challenges. And the ability to talk about those openly and honestly and, and move through them is, is the mark of a good relationship. And mm. less common, particularly in that corporate space, you know, with, with banks and insurance companies, just generally there's less, uh, I find, uh, loyalty is not the right word, but just less long-term customerage. Mm. Um, but 
businesses that have done well will typically have their housekeeping in order and just say good lawyers, good accountants, good financial planners, uh, good salespeople, whatever the field is that's needed to make that business a success mm. um, because that because that business journey is such a, a new and a nuanced thing for many people, you just never know what questions to ask. Mm. And we've had so many clients over the years that, uh, there's not a lot you need to do a lot of the time. Mm. It, it might be the casual cup of coffee every six to 12 months as a check-in, mm. which may over time, much like savings or investment, small efforts over time lead mm. to big results. But then when the time comes up or you and you need to make a quick decision or you need some quick import or there's some major life events that are happening, you've got that relationship, the understanding that someone has your vested interest at heart and they understand your position and they'll give you their best advice. doesn't mean you always take it, but the mm. ability to understand the, the advice is this or this for these reasons and you can make your choice based on all of those facts. Well, I think even going back to that story with my daughter, do you know, well, I don't think she's spoken to, you know, her accountant, you know, since she started work. But to have that one conversation in regards to do I go, you know, lease or, or not lease with a car or do I pay kilometres or whatever else, got the answer she needed, was happy with that, I don't think she'll probably sit down and talk to her accountant for another year or longer, do you know. But actually having had that relationship and having it there means that she was able to do it, mm, do you know. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's one of the things we try to get across to people is um, it's really important to put those things in place now because when you need it, um, that's not the time to put it in place. Mm. Do you know, when you need to ask that question, uh, that's not the time to ring up an accountant for the first time and go, hey, you know, my name's Sam and uh, I want to ask you all these really important questions about life because the accountant's going to go, yeah, I don't even know you. Mm. <laughs> I can't advise you on this. And matter of fact, you've never been a client of mine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's really interesting because one of the questions that I quite often um, try and say to people, or not, it's not really a question, it's more of a statement, but your professional is only good at either uh, as good as the questions you ask them or the permission that you give them to speak. Yes. Um, and, you know, and there's so many times where, you know, and I'm sure you've seen this, where somebody will go, oh, you know, Jeremy, that's your problem. You should have fixed that. And I'm like, okay, I haven't seen you for two years. You know, like mm. how was it that you were supposed to, I was supposed to fix that when you're not engaging with me? And, and, and getting that service level right too in terms of what that time is that a client actually needs for you to be able to do your job well. Mm. Has that been a challenge at times? It is always a challenge and largely driven by what we touched on earlier with the confusion around what accountants do and mm. how they do it. And the more communication there is, the more advanced notices of things, the far easier is it is mm. to fix things. I mean, we had a client, for example, that came to us uh, as, an, as a new client after they'd made all these decisions and all these structural choices around property mm. ownership and structures and it was, uh, it could not have been a worse uh, setup. And it, it bought, well, it did break a few rules, mind you, but to unpick all of that was expensive. Yeah. And we're talking like 50 grand or more in stamp duties and taxes and, and things to unpick what had been. So just come to you and together. say, look at my mess. Yeah. yeah. Could you fix this, please, Absolutely. now? And Rather you're like, I can. It's and gonna, you need to. And you need to because legally this is not right. But, but you know, if you had to come to me at the beginning, mm. we couldn't put this in place easily and, and slowly. Definitely. And I think, Hamish, I, I had a, um, a, a client who, who I referred to you one time and um, 
I remember you had a conversation with them. They actually went a different direction away from you. Uh, they went through a, just a just a bank bank, and um, they were given just a loan. But when they came back to go for another investment property a few years later, um, I vividly recall you going, that's why I told you you couldn't do that because now you can't do this. Did Hamish say I told you so? <laughs> Not to the client, but to me. <laughs> but it was, that, it was actually quite stark for me to go, okay, that, you know, um, the client didn't listen to the advice, went mm. off and did something else because they didn't have the foresight of going, what will the result of this be in, in two years' time or three years' time or four years' time? Mm. And so therefore to unpick that again, you know, it wasn't that it couldn't be done, but it can often be expensive and, and hard. Mm. So I've got a I've got a hard question for you. Ready for it? I'm ready for anything. So I think uh, you know in the world of accountancy these days, we're finding more and more that um, the individual PAYG person who just wants their tax done and, and tax advice, compared to a, a business and a company, um, more and more accountants are heading towards the specialising in in business companies, trusts. You know those sort of things. Um, you know, what do you think is happening in the space for that individual PAYG person? Do you do you feel that that there are some tax companies that are saying that's my specialty, that's the lane I'm swimming in? I just do you know PAYG. Um, because I have heard more and more PAYG people saying I'm I'm finding it hard to get an accountant. Like I just can't get someone to do this for me now. Yeah, it is uh, getting harder. And largely, it's economics. So uh, the cost of compliance for all of our fields, financial planning, mm. uh, property, accounting, the, mm. the cost of compliance is, is big. Huge. So uh, the cost to service a client well mm. uh, that requires a bit less, there's an inherent level of cost to an accountant to, to have someone on their lodgement list to service them uh, as good as any other client and provide that full service. The actual cost of that is usually far greater than the typical cost that clients expect of, well, if I go to this firm or that firm that only do personal tax at the shopping centre, they can do it for this. But usually that's a very different service. That's to help me lodge this and it's not the ongoing full service Time mm. firm, so a lot of firms have just made the decision. Well, it's it's too expensive for us to service that market, and we just won't do it. Mm. As opposed to saying, well, there's options, and those options can be either a cost uh, to the customer, or those options can be a cost to the firm. Taking a long term view of that client and saying, well, I understand that there's a season where our internal costs are high, but we're taking that long term view of mm. going on this journey with the client and. And we'll approach it in that fashion. Do you do you think um, the industry is going to start, you know, deviating a bit in, in regards to that, where there'll be, you know, some accountants that just are lodges? Do you know what I mean? Like all I'm doing here is what's your name, how much tax did you, you know, pay, what did you earn? Yeah, you should probably get a rebate of a thousand dollars done. Can I have my hundred dollars? Thank you very much. I'll take that out of your rebate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, compared to actually giving proper accountancy services. And people seeing that as a worthwhile cost, because I think part of that is the problem is that people almost see um, they don't want to pay tax. So to pay an accountant <laughs> to lodge their tax for them is 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 hard, uh, and it's almost like they're sort of weighing up, going, "I'm willing to pay it if you're able to get me 
extra back. But if you're not, then I'm then I'm not willing to pay it. Hmm. You know, and, and that's sort of where I think we're coming to is yeah. is um, more and more. I think people have to start to see you, you've got a choice. You can either get someone to lodge it for you, uh, which is just a you know, computer says yes, computer says no, or if you want something else, you're going to have to pay, pay for that, mm. do you know, and, and that may be more than what you're wanting, but it comes down to, you know, like you were saying, that future direction, future planning advice and sort of going from there. Can you see that the, the field's going to, companies are going to specialise in either just the lodging or the, or the advice? Yeah, and to an extent that's happened uh, and has happened and probably will continue to happen over the near term where the, as you say, that the, you've probably got three pools of, of individual PYG owners, the ones who do it themselves through the government software and, and happy and experienced enough in lodging. And if someone has no financial ambitions or um, has skill sets, certainty or a particular financial uh, or wealth plan that doesn't involve anyone else, no other professionals, then that's not an invalid approach. It, mm. It's clearly free and there's a whole, uh, I dare say, a good, I don't have the statistics, but a good percentage of people would do that. There's nothing wrong mm. with that. Um, and the government try to make it as easy as possible. Absolutely. You know? Pre-fill everything. And there was talk a number of years ago, but the proposal has seemed to dissipate of a, of a standard tax deduction for PYG employees, which mm. they've done in other countries where, okay, if you're a PYG earner and your situation is quite simple, you don't even need to do a tax return. You just get the standard, yep, I'm a simple tax return, bang, done, uh, and job's done. And if you take the view that that's a, the only thing you need from a an accountant, not invalid, then the next level up is, you say, the uh, lodges mm-hmm. where someone effectively is not after a whole lot. They just want someone to help them make sure it's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... The technical accuracy um, or the skill set of that firm and the skill set of uh, that requires that role uh, isn't, isn't always below the skill set of you can get the same qualifications doing that, but the entry point to that is far lower than your full service firm. So mm-hmm. there could be more variability in, in the skill sets and, and approach to that. Uh, and then, as you say, you've got the full service firm that would look at Okay, great. Well, let's let's look at your tax and obviously drive the best result as possible. But hey, we're there for when you go for a loan and your your financial planner needs some documentation, some letters, some things signed. Um, we're there to help you assist with your pre thirty June tax strategy, um, your investment tax related questions along the way. Uh, hey, you've got an inheritance. You're working with a planner on what to do with that. What's the best structure for that? It's that sort of full service firm that allows that long-term relationship approach to say, well, I'm working with this person. Sure, it might cost a bit more, clearly cost more than free and cost more than the people who can do 15 mm. tax returns in, in 30 minutes sort of yeah. thing. But it's an investment in that long-term journey of just uh, that methodical structure, which structure sets people free. I find back on that stress management around finances, the structured approach of okay, we have a couple of meetings a year with this person or with this person, we check in, we know we never hit our targets, but here's the rhythm that we follow and there's a process to it. It gives people so much comfort, I find, in their financial journey. So do you think for the young, uh, you know, younger generation that are listening to our podcast, um, you know, they're, they're getting into their working life, they, you know, they, they haven't got their first home yet, they, they want to get their first home, they want to then go on and get investment properties and, you know, invest in, in shares or in managed funds or whatever else. At what point do you think they should be actually saying, 
I need to move to a, a full firm or a full service firm with an accountant compared to, you know, I'm at uni, I'm working at Macca's, you know, I made 20 grand last year. I'm just putting in my, my you know, tax lodgement. Yeah, I would generally say as early as possible and a good firm and certainly a good accountant, uh, the the customer, the client don't know what they don't know. Yeah. So, uh, and that's reflective of any professional. They're an expert at their field. And so the right time for one person might be different to the right time for another person. But mm. a good accountant would have the conversation with the client saying, great, you're here. Here's what you could do. But the best time to do that might be in three years' time. So, hey, keep our details, continue on this journey. You seem like you're on the right path. Great. And touch base if A, B, or C happen, mm. or when you get to here, that's when the value of what we do is probably going to be commensurate with what it's going to cost you to do it. But a bit like we're talking about touch base. Mm. We're totally. not asking you to commit to you know a lifelong journey with you know Fox Group, but at least have that conversation and then and then move forward. Look, this is probably a good time to ask you. We we do like to ask a lot of our guests, you know, what advice you'd give your eighteen year old self. So, with all your wealth and experience and knowledge that you've picked up over your many years, what what would you go back and tell them? He hasn't talked about being wealthy. <laughs> so, so let's just be careful about I that. I said wealth of knowledge. Oh, well, right. Okay. <laughs> uh, what, what, what advice I'd give my 18-year-old self? Uh, I'd give myself two pieces of, pieces of advice. Uh, one would be enjoy the journey more. Mm. And what I mean by that is um, celebrating the wins, not working too hard. And I know so many white-collar professionals that work long hours, burn themselves out, and mental health is a, is a, is a big challenge in that, in that field. But uh, I would suggest to enjoy the journey and do it slower. Uh, you can't sprint a marathon. Um, so that, that would certainly be one piece of advice. And the other would be um, seek out the things you don't know earlier. Mm. Uh, experience is a great teacher. And I've found experience is a harder teacher, uh, but it's a slower way to learn. I'd rather learn some from someone else's mistakes than my own. So mm. learning earlier would be the other one. Yeah, well, look, it's funny. That's, that's one of the main strategies we, we have with Help My Wealth is is, is that, um, you know, when they, when they do research and statistics on financial uh, literacy and understanding, we always find that older people do better than younger people. And it's not that younger people are stupid compared to older people or, you know, but what it is is that, you know, you buy your first home, then you buy an investment property, then you start doing shares, then you get into trouble with something and you go to a, you know, an accountant, you get advice. By the time you get to 50 or 60, it's not that you're smarter than someone who's 20, it's that you've actually learned those lessons through experience. So, you know, a researcher sits down with you and says, hey, can you answer these 10 questions? You're like, sure. I did that when I was 30. I did that when I was 40. I did that when I was, you know, so you know what you're doing. So one of the things we're trying to achieve is actually say to people, fast forward that, you know, like um, get this basic understanding of financial literacy, get this basic understanding of budgeting and, and cash flow and investments and behavioral psychology and, and, and understand what that is um, so that it's easier for you to move forward. Mm. If I can add to that, I think one of the things that's really come out for me tonight is just, again, it's, you know, sometimes you talk about mentors and just that process of talking that stuff comes out. And for me, um, just listening to this last part you were talking about, about, you know, this struggle around are there enough accountants out there and what's the cost of servicing? And, and I think we can quite often make this assumption that um, I use Joe for this. Joe's always been good. 
all right? And so no matter what level of complication or stuff that comes my way, I'm still just going to give it to Joe without asking Joe, is this his specialty or is this something he's comfortable giving advice on? Is this your lane, Joe? All right. Is this your lane, <laughs> all right? So, and, you know, I, I guess to add to that, you know, like I've got, you know, because you've got your, your, your H&R blocks and your ITPs and that sort of thing mm. that, that really are trying to do that simple tax return stuff. Mm. Um, but I had a client come in, um, you know, probably about 12 months ago now that sold a property, had capital gains tax, you know, ITP didn't tell them about, you know, concessional catch-up rules or superannuation and they ended up with a $12,000 capital gains tax bill that probably could have been wiped out with some decent advice because they just made this assumption that, um, oh, Joe's always done it. All right. So, and I think challenging and, and actually engaging and saying to your accountant or financial planner or is this your lane? You know, does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. Um, I think it's it's a question that we don't often ask uh, or, or, or revisit, you know, and, at, at times. And, and it's good to come back and revisit it and say, am I doing anything wrong? Ask questions and make sure that we're getting, uh, we're giving the professionals permission to actually have the uncomfortable conversations. Because mm. um, it's a hard thing for a professional to say. If you're a financial planner or an accountant or whatever else, you know, if you're looking at someone's business and going, yeah, this is not good. You know, it's hard to say to them, Bob, this is a really bad cafe. Mm. This is a bad decision. You need to stop now. Unless that person, unless Bob says, please speak into me, tell me Mm. um, how well are we doing here? Uh, You know, is this worth continuing? Um, Is this okay? Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's actually a really important point to bring up, not just in accountancy, in in whatever area you know you're in. And I think if you if you talk to a professional athlete, I mean that's what they say to to the coach, aren't they? They aren't saying to the coach, "How good was that?" They're saying, "How could I do better? What, mm-hmm. You know, what did I what did I do wrong? Where was I?" You know, the fact they run the won the race doesn't change their conversation around what could have I done better or what could have I changed to have made this better? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing better than your, your coach or your financial planner or accountant saying, no, nothing, that was great. Mm-hmm. But if you don't ask that question, they're not going to be able to say to you, actually, if you had have done this or if you had have done that or maybe we should revisit this next year or we need to keep an eye on this because I'm not, you know, it's a, it's a little bit touch and go there or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the challenge around asking that question, I think, is, is sometimes fear and sometimes confidence. Um, one of my favourite questions I often ask of my mentors is, is there anything else I need to know? And hopefully, uh, and whilst occasionally there's been an answer or they'll see you do something stupid and then, uh, you know, six months later they say, yeah, I saw that coming. I'm like, why didn't you say anything? Well, you didn't ask me. Which <laughs> is a, a fair comment. And I think uh, often because uh, finances in a business are so varied mm. and I'll use a cafe as an example they get hammered with costs rent mm. electricity wages and a high lot of wages the, high rent and a lot of the costs are delayed mm. so um, superannuation tax on wages GST mm. it's many many months until after you start to collect the money do you actually have to pay those bills and I see often people just not wanting to know or sticking their head in their sand too long until mm. it gets too insurmountable and then the action is not a great recovery process from, from there. Mm. Whereas having that conversation early, getting the data early, uh, getting as much regular reporting as you can. So for every business, whether we do it or it's done internally, 
having monthly P&Ls versus budget. So you have your forecast for the year. This is where we started. This is where we want to finish. And you just track it. And the tracking is not to verify the accuracy of how good a forecast you are. It's just say, well, are we ahead of where we want it to be or behind? And do we need to change anything? And then based on that, making some decisions. Workers comp's another one. The mm. players catch up because of the way they do the formulas and it's year two and three that you go far out. Yeah. Where did this come from? You know, so, yeah, you're right. Mm. Um, so, mm. So, look, um, one of the questions we always ask everyone that comes on our show is uh, if you're going to write a book, I'm assuming you haven't written one yet, but if you're going to write a book, what would it be about and what would the title be called? The title, I would suspect, would be uh, Slow Down and Have Fun. Uh, And what it would be about is um, the structure of a of a very long-term plan with a lot of fun along the way mm. so the, the challenge of any person without uh and i'm talking young everybody knows uh well not everybody knows sorry the the there's common formulas and calculations on you know, if you say 50 dollars a week from the day you turn 18 that, that compounds but if you catch it up when you're 40 it's got to be six million dollars a week and uh and having some early input and some early structure to slowly build towards a very, very, very long-term plan with a whole lot of fun in the middle because I find that finances stress most people out Mm. Uh, and it's either lack of planning or lack of effort and time Mm. and the mixture of all of those things, whether it's didn't plan early enough or um, trying to play catch-up later, uh, dictates the stress on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And so the slow down and have fun is extend out. So, And that's not just an 18-year-old. It could be a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old saying, okay, well, let's get realistic. What's that journey look like? And if you can set an expectation that's realistic, mm-hmm. you can stomach that early and have fun and enjoy those holidays and enjoy the um, the days off work because you know you've got 20% more as a buffer and so if you need to have an unpaid day off work to hang out with a friend you can that, that sort of journey because I think we get overwhelmed with information, with time, with commitments and I find that those pressures get uh, more with the passage of time not less and some of the most well balanced uh, people who uh, I know in my own world are not the wealthy or the poor it's Mm. the wealth doesn't really i find have a significant impact on someone's happiness level Mm. it's that compared to their either their expectation or their usage of the funds Mm. so i've seen people with more modest incomes and more modest situations loving life and they're doing things and they're um and they're happy and we've all traveled to you know countries where people have nothing and they look like the happiest happiest people in the world and you know people who are uber rich and then mm. unhappy so it's the, the level of income and the level of wealth i find is not determining it's the it's the ability to plan and have fun along the way mm-hmm. so and, and long answer long answer to a short question mm. uh, it would be um yeah slow down and have fun i like it slow down and have fun well, Jeremy, I've really enjoyed having you on the program today. Thanks, and, Danny. Um, I'm sure Hamish has as well. Been talking all things accountancy and the and the world of accountancy, but um, it's been a real pleasure. So, so thank you so much. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Hamish. Great to be here. Yeah. So, Help My Wealth is all about empowering your financial journey in a balanced and safe way. And today, we've done this by talking to Jeremy about accountancy and finances. I hope that's been helpful for you. And we'll see you again next time. So, thank you and bye for now. Right. See you later. Thank you.
information discussed by the Hot My Wealth and the Money Rules Money Rules podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is generally nature and it is not advice. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. It is aimed to provide a general understanding of each topic and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. It is strongly suggested that you seek professional advice regarding your own individual circumstances before making a financial decision. Help My Wealth and the hosts of the Money Rules and Money Rules podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. In the spirit of reconciliation, Help My Wealth and the Money Rules or Money Rules podcasts acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to past, present and emerging elders. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.